Hello, and welcome to Wineication, the podcast, where we discuss everything from wine, food and wine pairings, entrepreneurship, and starting a wine business, diversity and inclusion, as well as what's happening in Wichita, Kansas. I am your host today, Kale Bear, Jennifer's employee. Jennifer is actually in Kansas City today doing an interview, so Gabriella and I will be filling in. Today, we will be providing an update on the opening of our winery, talking about our ribbon cutting event, as well as events that we have coming up. Afterwards, we'll be talking about developing your palate and the proper serving temperatures for wine. So grab a glass of Jenny Don Seller's wine and let your moment begin. We are getting very close to opening our urban winery. We had our ribbon cutting on November 12th, and our goal is to open with normal business hours by November 23rd. So a couple of days ago, we had our ribbon cutting, and we had it with the chamber and with Weba. And it was, I think, a really important moment for Jenny to be able to experience people in her space and be able to see everybody's reaction to all her hard work that she's done the past couple of years. So, Kale, what are your thoughts about the ribbon cutting? I think it was a super cool event. So many people came out to support Jenny and the business in general. Um, A lot of great words were said, not only by our boss, but by those speaking about her as well. Um, especially I will take a moment to mention Councilman Brandon Johnson who talked about Jennifer's tenacity and also presented us with the Wichita flag which is awesome because while we are the first urban winery in the state of Kansas and Jenny of course has you know national dreams she's also talked a lot about how you can't forget where you come from and where you start and and for this journey for Gabriella and I it, it starts in Wichita with this storefront and to have so many people there in in Wichita to to support this dream of Jenny's it was super cool and it makes me feel like when November 23rd rolls around, when we open, we're going to have packed house after packed house, which is really exciting for me. So, Gabby, what was your biggest takeaway from the ribbon cutting? I think it was it was really great to see a lot of familiar faces. There were a lot of people that we have seen in a lot of events that we've been to previously. And so to be able to have seen them at events and you know tell them about the the court column that we have and all these little things that we're going to be having at the winery and then finally them being able to go and see them in person I think that was really important and meaningful to me it seemed like there were there were and I will say there were a lot of people there and it seemed like the majority of people there if not almost all of them have been at, at different events that you and I have taken part of that have supported. So it's cool to see that whether we are at Botanica or at a liquor store, we're seeing these familiar faces not because they live in that area, but because they're going out of their way to be there to support us, which I think is, is super cool. So November 12th, our ribbon cutting was the day we celebrated our construction being completed, but November 23rd is when we are aiming for our opening date. And I think we also have to 
give a shout out to True Building for all the hard work that they did on the winery. Yeah, for sure. And kind of, you know, piggyback off of that from True Building, um, Ryan Barrett with True Building has been there. I want to say, you know, it feels like just as much as I have at certain times. And so that's just, you know, one shout out for someone who I feel like is constantly going the extra mile to help you and I out. That's super cool to see. Um, but speaking of the, the time in between the ribbon cutting and November 23rd, we are so excited that the fermentation process for these wines is actually going to be happening um, this weekend. I know that I am going, I'm traveling to Topeka with Jenny tomorrow uh, to pick up some fruits and juice that are going to be brought back that same day. I'm sure if you follow us on social media, you've seen the pictures and videos of the tanks, and we've already done so much work with those tanks. There's still some work to be done, but just to know that soon they're going to be filled with something, and that and that you know continues the the process of the creation of Jenny's wine is going to be so exciting, but also at the same time a very strenuous process and project that I think we are ready to take on. So I really liked how the other day when Jenny finally got to unpack all of the equipment that we'll be using to make the wine, she made it a moment. She poured herself a glass of wine and she said that this was like, she was been waiting for this for I don't know how long and she wanted to take her time unpacking all of her equipment. And I think that just shows you how extremely dedicated she is to this and how much she actually enjoys every part of the winemaking process. For sure. I believe the words she used were, this is my baby. I, you know, luckily have had a a fun time taking part in, you know, the unboxing of a lot of things and putting a lot of the furniture together. And so when we brought that equipment inside the winery, I was just, you know, ready to continue work as normal and unpackage it myself. And she just quickly hit me with the, you know what, I'm going to do this myself. And like you mentioned, you know, take her time. And it was a really fun process to watch when, when we've been there with Jenny for only a couple months and we've heard about, you know, how long this process has taken and everything that she's had to overcome and these moments keep building where you see the excitement in her eyes at the ribbon cutting and then you see the excitement when she's unboxing and unpackaging this equipment for the fermentation and the crushing process it's just this this slope of excitement that keeps building and you know we're just I feel so lucky to be you know along for the ride on that one to see somebody's dream come true and to just see them experience true joy i think is what makes this job i think the best job i've ever had yeah for sure whether it's the you know the pure joy in jenny's face when things get on the right track and we continue pushing forward or honestly the you know the complete joy of when people whether it's them trying our wine for the first time or telling us i don't like chardonnay and then they have ours and they're like oh oh okay or you know when it's someone who's had her wine since they hit the market just having another glass and and i think people are going to find that joy at at the winery and it's even the small things she finds joy in so even the ice machine having ice (laughs) for the first time was a whole thing and it was like a whole day it was a great day yeah for sure 
And and so as we continue on this slope, I'll be excited to see her excitement for when we have the inaugural wine dinner on November 21st. This is the big one. This is the one that she's been waiting for. Yeah, you know, there can only be one ribbon cutting and there's only you know that one night where she gets to unbox that equipment for the first time but this is the inaugural wine dinner because this is going to be something that's happening in our space it's not going to be a one time and then it's over this is something that you know a winery has it's it's going to be exciting to bring that to Wichita and have it in our space and so that excitement level is going to be one that we get to experience frequently at some rate but but the first one is going to be i think you know one of the biggest highs mm-hmm. um i know we're going to have live music there and with jenny's wine pairings with these new wines that you know we haven't even seen yet it's going to be fantastic it, it for me i don't say this often i believe it's it's a must attend event <laughs> i think it's going to be a really really good time and i think everybody's going to be able to take something away from it but i think i don't know i really i like that her parents her family is coming and so this is going to be the first time they're going to be able to see like their daughter's dream come true and that is, I feel like, a big moment for Jenny to not, because it, it's the inaugural wine dinner, yes, but her family's going to be there, too, in the space with us. So I think that's going to be a really big moment. For sure, and I know. For sure, and I know how important, you know, family has been to her. And so, like you mentioned, I think just being able to take in that moment with the people that, that love her the most and the people that she loves the most, it, again, I'm just it's really fun to take part in that so at this time we are actually going to take a short sponsorship break but then we will return to discuss trying to hone your palate as well as the proper serving temperature for wine so this is going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to pour yourself another glass and get ready for part two This week's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Jenny Dawn Sellers. With the winery only days away from opening, Jenny Dawn Sellers would like to remind our listeners that we still have spots open for our Wine Locker membership. Our Wine Locker has the ability to store up to 12 cases of wine at a time, but we only have a few memberships left with three different membership options available. The wine lockers will be refilled with wine three times a year at no added cost, and members can utilize our space three times a year as an additional perk. If you want to be able to bypass the checkout line and serve yourself wine from your own inventory at Jenny Dawn Cellars to let your moment begin that much faster, send us an email at info at JennyDawnCellars.com today for more information. Welcome back to Winecation. So, Kale and I have been a part of this team for a little bit over three months now, and I think that even in that short period of time, I don't know about you, Kale, but my palate in terms of wine tasting has definitely changed. Um, I think I have a much greater appreciation for finer wines than I did before. I... 
typically wouldn't go for a more expensive bottle, but now I can't not go for a more expensive <laughs> bottle. So developing your palette can be fun and enjoyable. And Jenny has left us with a couple of tips on how we can help you develop yours. So your palette is composed of a series of taste buds, the tongue, the interior of your mouth, and the most important sensor of all, your nose. Developing a good palate starts with paying close attention to what's going on with these aforementioned sensory areas. If you want a truly remarkable palate, you'll additionally need to take steps to protect and prime your palate. In the meantime, try to following these six techniques to develop your wine palate. Step one, take it slow. Have you ever slowly savored a chocolate truffle? Rich ganache slowly melting on your tongue as the flavors evolve gradually throughout your mouth. This slow savoring where you let your senses take over is how you can bump up your skill at tasting wine. It takes time to determine the nuances of a wine and our own brains achieve a higher level of analytical thinking when we slow down. Step two, look and smell, then taste. The look is not as important as the smell. However, both play a large role in our perception of a wine before it even touches our lips. You can test this theory by blindfolding a friend and giving them a room temperature white Rihoa. You can trick them into thinking it's a red wine. If you, if you remove your nose from sensing a wine, it's very difficult to taste anything but the texture of a wine. So what is a super taster? A super taster is someone who has an extreme sensitivity to bitterness, salt, and sweet. Since their sensitivities are heightened, bitter-flavored foods like Brussels sprouts, kale, coffee, some beers, and even wine will bother a super taster. People who are sensitive to flavors are also very sensitive to hot drinks, carbonation, and spices. 3. Visualize and Isolate Sitting with my nose, hovering over a glass with my eyes closed, I suddenly start identifying the flavors of a wine faster than with my eyes open. I see roses, red cherries, a clay pot, and cloves. The rose smell is less pronounced than the red cherry smell, and when I close my eyes, I imagine that the roses and cherries are in a terracotta clay pot that's been rubbed with baking spices. This must be a younger Chianti, a Sangiovese from Italy made in a more modern style. By using visualization, I'm able to isolate flavors and paint a picture in my mind that resembles other pictures I've recalled when I've tried Chianti. This is how I place a wine in style and a region when I blind taste it. When you train your palate, tasting Pinot Noir is like tasting bacon. You just know it as soon as you smell it. Step four, identify flavors and move on. It's easy to get held up on a flavor in a wine. I smelled a wine once and all I could smell was anise. I couldn't get past the smell of anise and identify the wine. Once you identify a flavor or aroma, it's useful to move past it and ask, what else is here? The nuances are what makes wines unique or particular to where they originate. Step five, pay attention to texture and body. Fruit flavors in a wine aren't the only flavors. Texture adds to the flavor and gives a wine body. For instance, a Viognier, a 
a white wine is known for having an oily texture in the middle of the tongue. Oftentimes, I'll rub my tongue on the roof of my mouth to identify features like minerality or tannin. Does the tannin hit you in the side of the mouth, the front, or the middle? Step six, build a wine tasting memory. Picking out the key points of a wine helps to build a taste memory. Your working wine memory is something you can use to refer to when tasting new wines and finding new favorites. For instance, many young Spanish Grenaches I've tried have a ruby red grapefruit flavor, and it helps me to identify the wine in a blind tasting. Using taste memory can also help when thinking about food and wine pairings. As much as your memory is powerful on the fly, it's useful to take notes about wines, especially during wine tastings. Those tips are super helpful, and they're ones that you know Jenny has talked to us about before. Um, I, coming from you know a, a a different kind of world than wine, it's not uncommon to just take things full throttle if you may and so with wine drinking it's so much more about slowing down and I think for me just having that as step one can sometimes just be the most important step of take your time with this wine it's well worth it so like you mentioned these are all great things that Jenny has taught us But she does offer this opportunity to help teach others at a monthly class that she hosts called Wineacation. In the class, she offers three different wines, and they have three different food pairings. And there are two different types of each, that two different types from each wine. And it is a great time to, like we've said, take these tips and enhance your wine palette. So the last topic for today's podcast is serving temperatures for wine. I know this is a topic that Jenny frequently gets asked about. I have as well. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a glass of wine that came highly recommended but was underwhelming to you or been disappointed by a wine you had loved previously? Maybe the wine simply wasn't served in a way that allowed it to shine. Temperature and glassware can significantly affect a wine's aromas and flavors, as can the practice of decanting, which we talked about in a previous episode. Understanding how and why will help you decide what's best for your particular wine and occasion. So here are some guidelines on serving temperatures for different wines, as well as quick fixes for chilling down or warming up a bottle. When it comes to serving temperature, a wine should be just right. Too hot and the wine's alcohol will be emphasized, leaving it flat and flabby. Too cold and the aromas and flavors will be muted and, for reds, the tannins may seem harsh and astringent. Too often, white wines are served straight out of a fridge while reds are opened at a toasty room temperature, neither of which is ideal. What's just right for you is a matter of individual taste, but here are some general guidelines. Light, dry white wines, rosés, and sparkling wines should be served at 40 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit to preserve their freshness and fruitiness. Think crisp Pinot Grigio and Champagne. For sparklers, chilling keeps bubbles fine rather than frothy. This is also a good range for white dessert wines. Sweetness is accentuated at warmer temperatures, so chilling them preserves their balance without quashing their vibrant aromas. 
full-bodied white wines and light fruity reds should be served at 50 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit to pick up more of the complexity and the aromatics of a rich Chardonnay. Full-bodied red wines and ports should be served at 60 to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Cooler than most room temperatures and warmer than ideal cellaring temperatures. To make the tannins in powerful Cabernet or Syrah feel more supple and de-emphasize bitter components. So it's very important to be prepared. If your wines have been sitting out at room temperature, first we recommend you read our article on how to store wine. It can take an hour or two in a fridge to chill a white or bubbly down to the right temperature and there's no harm in sticking a too warm red in there for a little while too. On the other hand, a red pulled from a cellar, cooler, or fridge may need up to a half an hour sitting out at room temperature. If you can afford it, it's handy to have a small wine cooler with temperature settings up to 65 degrees Fahrenheit. You can use that to hold bottles you want to open for a dinner or a party. Barring that, How do you know if the wine has reached serving temperature? Instant digital thermometers can take a wine's temperature through the bottle, and there are other models you can stick in the mouth of an open bottle. But it's easy enough to touch the bottle and guesstimate. It should at least be cool to the touch. After enough trial and error from opening and tasting, you'll learn what feels right. So what do you do if you need a quick fix? If the wine is too warm, immerse it in a mix of ice and cold water. This chills a bottle more quickly than ice alone because more of the glass is in contact with the cold source. This may take up about 10 minutes for red and for about 30 minutes for a sparkling white. You can even stick a bottle in the freezer for about 15 minutes. Don't forget it though or the wine may freeze and push the cork out. And if the wine is too cold, decant it into a container rinsed in hot water or immerse it briefly in a bucket of warm water. But don't try anything with high heat. If the wine is only a little cold, just pour it into the glass and cup your hands around the bowl to keep it warm. Keep in mind that a wine served cool will warm up in the glass, while a wine served warm will only get warmer. It's always better to start out a little lower than the target temperature. I know personally, I have had plenty of reds served way too cold, even bottles that I've dreamed about having, and it there's nothing worse. And I just, you know, even working for a winery, there are definitely times when I don't know all the tips and tricks. So something like this is super helpful for me to know when I've got that really nice bottle of whatever it may be, just taking taking the time to make sure that it's at the right temperature so it's more enjoyable not only for me but for everyone that I want to share it with. I think that is a really interesting point that you make because something that I definitely noticed is because you mentioned you've been getting reds that are too warm you said Too too cold. I get whites that are too cold and I just that's you don't taste anything you, you can feel it but you just don't taste the wine and I think I feel like it's a it's a great learning experience it's not could it not necessarily always a bad thing because it'll warm up like we said but uh yeah I think that maybe tasting a wine that is a little bit too cold so you can kind of figure out what is the right temperature and what difference that makes in serving it at the right temperature 
Yeah, for sure. There, there's no mountains on the bottle that turn blue when a wine's the right temperature. It's one about, you know, having to take the knowledge yourself. Um, but it looks like we are out of time for this week's episode of Wine Occasion. Make sure to tune in next week as we continue to discuss everything from wine, entrepreneurship, events, and diversity and inclusion. Don't forget to subscribe and share our episode with friends. Thanks for listening to Wine Occasion. Cheers.